on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Fam. ESPN Radio 97.7, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board as always. You can listen wherever you are, wherever you go on the ESPN app as well. Download the app, find the listen tab, find ESPN Syracuse or... ESPN Radio Utica Rome, and you can take us with you wherever you go, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. And today, you're probably not taking us outside if you are listening in central New York. A rainy day. We've had a great streak of weather as of late, but today, now you say rain, rain, go away, come back another day. Today is the other day. So cloudy, 66 degrees, light rain, according to my in-studio weather bug here. But as you know, if you're here in central New York and a bit of parts of uh, pretty much the entire Northeast in the, in the East Coast, so if you are listening in other parts of the world, uh, you will be experiencing this coming up this weekend. Big-time heat wave is coming this weekend. Like, Make sure the AC is working, baby, because we're going to hit triple digits in central New York. So you know it's summer when they're rocking in Weedsport and those triple digits are in the forecast. We've got a great Wednesday show for you today. I'm glad you've come along for the ride, so let's do this thing. Two guests will join us today. One is our good buddy, Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. There's some interesting things happening in western New York. The Buffalo Sabres are making trades. They recently acquired Erasmus Dalin, number one overall pick, one of the great prospects to come to western New York ever, and you can say that about a guy named Jack Eichel a couple of years ago, and the Sabres <laughs> have one again because, well, when you stink this long and keep getting top draft picks, well, eventually one of these things is going to work out, right? So a lot happening there. It's quiet in terms of the NFL and Bills territory, but I kind of wanted to wrap up some football things with Sal as well, and it's always good to catch up with our buddy Sal Capaccio. So we'll do that here in this hour. Sal wrote a fascinating story about the trades that Brandon Bean, Buffalo Bills general manager, made and how he did it and the insight to it. So it's a real look into how an NFL general manager works. Great stuff. I think Sal was auditioning for The Athletic in writing this piece. It was really well done. So we'll talk to him about that. And then in the next hour of the show, uh, Bob Costas 
heard of that guy. I spoke with Bob on my Syracuse Sports podcast, and I'm going to play back a bit of that for you today here on this show. If you want the full interview, you can find it on the uh, iTunes and Google Play Syracuse Sports podcast. You can find it on Syracuse.com as well. It's on my Twitter feed as well, Brent Axe Media. I've tweeted it a few times today. It was great to not only catch up with Bob because he's Bob freaking Costas, but you know he's going to the Hall of Fame just about a month from today. He told some really cool stories about his time at Syracuse. Hockey fans out there will really appreciate Bob's story. Some of you may have heard the Ogie Oglethorpe story, but you've never heard it this detailed. So we're going to play back a bit of my chat with Bob Costas later in the show. I have it here in my hands. It's got that new magazine smell. The Phil Steele College Football Bible. I'm not even going to call it the Phil Steele College Football Preview because that, that would be insulting to what this glorious Bible is in front of me here. The College Football Bible. Over 350 pages of college football greatness. This is, you know, it's summer when they're rocking in Weedsport and when you get your Phil Steele College Football Preview. Thank you to Seth Goldberg who tweeted me, to, or tweeted me, texted me today and said, hey, I'm picking up my Phil Steele college football preview. And before he could finish typing, I said, give me one. Get it. Get it. Now. So I have it. Now, whether Syracuse football fans want to hear what Phil Steele has to say or not, that's a whole different discussion. So we'll get into that. Hot takes to come, including um, this is Doug Marone we're talking about, right? Guy went to Syracuse, coached at Syracuse, coached the Buffalo Bills. That, Doug Marone, right? That That's that's who we're talking about, that Doug Marone. You know, I don't know if I, I dream in my wildest dreams. You know, a lot of, most of the time I'm thinking about, you know, my wife in my wildest dreams. Thank you, uh, Doug, I think. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. New, new comments about, this is Doug Marone we're talking about, right? M-A-R-R-O-N-E. Explain my confusion later. But I do have a little Syracuse basketball I wanted to start with today because our man, Mike Waters, Syracuse.com, updating, you know, kind of how the Syracuse basketball non conference schedule is playing out with the date now officially official for Georgetown. Heard of them? I've heard of them. If you heard of them, I've heard of them. Patrick Ewing, heard of that guy? Yeah, he's going to be coaching in the Carrier Dome against Syracuse on December the 8th. So we now know the date of that, and we now know how the Syracuse basketball schedule is playing out. So what's important about the schedule is remember the quadrant system, right? Remember the importance of RPI. Remember how non-conference schedules are made these days. You don't want to kill yourself in non-conference play, certainly, but you have to appease the NCAA tournament selection gods, if you will. You have got to show that you are willing to play anybody in non-conference play. That's got a strong RPI. You've got to be willing to go on the road 
and do this, and not just in the ACC Big Ten Challenge or Syracuse plays in Madison Square Garden every year, that type of thing, right? You can't just do that. You've got to be willing to challenge yourself, even if you are Syracuse, and you play in the ACC, which is a two-month grind. It's a two-month war of attrition in one of the toughest, if not the toughest, leagues in college basketball, right? That's not good enough anymore. And we go back to last year where Syracuse, as they have often in recent years, was a perfect test case for this. They were the last team in. It's easy to forget this now. I mean, I think a lot of you don't forget the stress you were under, you know, in the week or so leading into Selection Sunday. I'm sure a lot of you don't forget the euphoria that you felt and uh, the pure joy on the screen when Syracuse did get in. But it's easy to forget in the sense that, let the record show, that Syracuse was a Sweet 16 team last year. But we all know how hard they had to work to get there and the path they had to take through Dayton, beating some really good teams along the way, Michigan State notably, TCU before that, and the supposed coach that had Syracuse's number, Jamie Dixon, Arizona State, in a similar desperate situation as the Orange. And, you know, look, they lost to Duke, but I think they gave Duke more of a punch in the nose than expected in that game, right? And the reason Syracuse got in, the rationale was, even under the new quadrant system, was schedule. Who they played, and not only who they played, but where they played. So I thought it would be interesting to look at what we know is confirmed for non-conference play, which is pretty much done. There are three more non-conference games that have yet to be announced. We'll find those out in the next month or so. They'll all trickle out, pardon me, the ACC full schedule, like the schedule lined up. In term, I mean, we know who Syracuse is playing in ACC play in terms of where, but how the schedule lines up, that usually comes out about mid-August or so once they work out you know, arenas and availability and and all that fun stuff. But is Syracuse putting itself in a position again where, say, a game in December against Buffalo could swing your NCAA tournament life like last year's did? And how, of all games, UB was going between Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2. And we talk about the Quadrant system, we're talking about RPI, basically, right? It's all based on RPI. It's just kind of a fancier way to structure RPI, as much as they're trying to phase out RPI in terms of its importance and phase in some new analytics and metrics and Kempom ratings, it's still heavily based on RPI. So I thought it'd be interesting, now that we know dates and things lining up, where they stand non-conference play-wise and what they need to do in terms of those three left. Are the games that are scheduled now strong enough and you can schedule yourself three winnable games but still Teams that have an RPI, that's not going to, you know, kill you. Or does Syracuse need to fatten it up a little bit? So let's go through it here. So Syracuse last year, who, remember, finished with a Ken Palm rating of 41 and an RPI of 45. And that's what got him in as the last team in, and they took it from there. Eastern Washington on November 6th has a Ken Palm rating of 136 and an RPI of 122. They then get Moorhead State on November 10th was a Ken Palm of 273 and an RPI of 292. Not ideal, but you can't get everybody in the... In, ideally, you want somebody in the top 150. Really top 100 if you can. But not every non-conference opponent is going to fall in that category. 
UConn, Big East opponent, rivalry opponent, Madison Square Garden, part of that huge weekend where Syracuse plays. UConn and then the winner of Oregon-Iowa as part of the 2K Classic. And then on Saturday, it's Syracuse-Notre Dame football at Yankee Stadium. UConn's Ken Palm, 179, their RPI, 120. So name brand, yes, rivalry, yes, but in terms of strength of schedule, you'd like them to beef it up a little bit. You're Come on, you're Connecticut, for crying out loud. Now, you get either Oregon or Iowa in the next game, and they both had pretty decent rankings. Ken Palm, 75, RPI, 72 for Oregon. Iowa had a Ken Palm of 88 and an RPI of 157. Big disparity there. The Big Ten ACC Challenge is on November 28th. So by right around Thanksgiving, you have already seen UConn. You have already played either Oregon or Iowa. And now you get Ohio State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And as you would expect, you're going to get some big-time brownie points there in the eyes of the quadrant system and the selection committee because Ohio State had a Ken Palm of 16 and an RPI of 20. The annual Cornell game is on December 1st, and their Ken Palm and RPI are in the 250s. Georgetown, as mentioned, we now know the date of that, December 8th. Ken Palm and 94, RPI of 164, which is surprising considering the ridiculous non-conference schedule that Georgetown played last year, which I didn't blame Patrick Ewing for doing in a sense, but they, you want to talk about cream puffery. Nobody cream puffed it like Georgetown last year. So it made you hesitant to say, should they go forward with this series? Because Georgetown doesn't want to play anybody. But it ended up being decent. And you get Old Dominion on December 15th, who had a Ken Palm of 64 and an RPI of 79. Buffalo brings back a lot of players from that tournament team that beat Arizona last year and could end up being just as important a game this upcoming season as it did last year. And I don't think Syracuse is going to be quite riding the bubble this upcoming year like they did last, but Buffalo's numbers are great and their team's going to be great. So these numbers should be similar. Their Ken Palm was 67. Their RPI was 26. Colgate has not been announced, but they'll be on the schedule. They have been every year for like literally 100-plus years. And their Ken Palm and RPI is right around 200. So things are looking good there. There's a balance between those winnable games that you got to boost a team's confidence, build up chemistry, build up how a team works together. And you've got five returning starters, adding in a Jalen Carey, adding in Elijah Hughes off the bench, albeit he practiced with the team last year, and, of course, adding a Buddy Beheim to the mix. But you've got a team that knows how to play together, particularly with Tyus Battle coming. So there's three non-conference games. Maybe one more meaty opponent that's got a good Ken Palm, but I think Syracuse has put itself in a position schedule-wise where you can add a couple more cream puffs to the schedule. Those, you know, no offense to Rob Murphy, our friend at Eastern Michigan, but, you know, that's been a very winnable game that's got intrigue, and he's always willing to come back to the Dome, and you kind of want to make sure that their RPI is in good range and will not hurt you. But I think Syracuse has done a really good job balancing this out because you had some pre-scheduled games in there that if UConn and Georgetown's RPIs tanked, they could hurt you, and they're not where you want them to be. But I think given the ACC Big Ten Challenge, a couple other non-conference games that they've scheduled, they're in pretty good position again here. And, And thank goodness for Buffalo being a team that has turned into a legit college basketball team and you know a team that could win the MAC again and could certainly do damage again in the tournament.
So all is well here on June 27th with three games yet to be scheduled on the SU basketball front. The quadrant gods are happy for now. I just got to take care of business in those games, right? So we'll come back to some SU talk later in the show, including some football, because I've got that new magazine smell from my Phil Steele's college football preview. What's he saying about the Orange Plus? For entertainment purposes only, Syracuse football has been a good bet in recent years. Found an interesting stat about that that we'll share later on. Bob Costas, heard of that guy. I'll play back some of my interview with him later in the program. You can listen to the full podcast at Syracuse.com. But next, our buddy Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Lots to talk about with Sal. We'll do it when we come back. You're on the block. Happy Wednesday, everybody. ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Just cruising through a Wednesday with one headlight. Yes, I know that's not this song, but just go with me here. How's everybody doing? Great to have you back here. If you're just hopping on board, welcome. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. It's presented by Burdick BMW. A lot happening here. we got some SU football to get into here shortly. How you determine the best fans in the National Football League. Latavius Murray making a brief appearance in town. Had some interesting things to say to our friend and colleague Donna DeTota at Syracuse.com. And later this hour, I'm going to play back a bit of my chat with Bob Costas. Heard of that guy. Not only legendary sportscaster, but now Hall of Famer. About a month from today, as a matter of fact, July 28th, is the induction ceremony in Cooperstown. Bob is receiving the Ford Frick Award, which makes him a broadcaster. That is now a Hall of Famer as well at the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. We certainly discussed that, his days at Syracuse, and what we're going to play back for you later this hour. If you've heard Bob tell the story of his encounter with Bill Goldthorpe, who was the inspiration for Ogie Oglethorpe in the movie Slapshot, so you kind of know the basics of it, but Bob was kind enough to kind of give me the longest and most detailed version of that story, which kind of tells you what life was like with the Syracuse Blazers and old-time hockey back in the day. And he tells a really cool story about his time at Syracuse as well. A few uh, really cool stories, but we'll play back one of those for you later on this hour. Bob Costas. Never interviewed Bob until yesterday. I'd met Bob. I had spoken with Bob. But it kind of occurred to me I never had formally interviewed Bob and as good a time as any with him going into the Hall of Fame about a month from now. So uh, that was... um, that was pretty awesome, not going to lie to you. You know, as a kid who grows up and Bob Costas is on the short list of people you look up to and you admire in this business, and I know every kid that goes to Newhouse, like, aspires to be Costas. I didn't go to Newhouse. I mean, I'm from Syracuse. I was born and raised here, and I'm a townie. I'm not an SU alum, though I do now profess there as an adjunct professor. But, I mean, Costas is it, man. He's the gold standard. He is the guy. So to get to chat with him... I'm just very fortunate uh, and thankful that we didn't have any Chris Farley moments during this interview because I was fanboying hard. It's the same problem I, I feared when we talked to Dan Patrick on this show. What was it, last year or two years ago? The fact that I got through that interview without any fanboy Chris Farley show moments. <laughs> remember, remember when you... <laughs> Murray did the Olympics. <laughs> that was awesome. 
No, we, we didn't do that, thankfully. I think, anyway. Maybe I'll go back. Maybe I blacked out for a few moments during this interview, and I did. <laughs> remember, remember when you had that pink eye in Russia? Oh, man, that must have sucked. I don't know. That could have happened. I might have blacked out, but we'll play back uh, part of that interview a little bit later on this hour. Ladies and gentlemen, I have here in my hands, it's heavy. Like, I pick this up and I feel weight. And it is a beautiful thing. And what is in my hand? Ah, it's got that new magazine smell. Oh, that's a glorious smell. My Phil Steele's College Football Preview Bible is in my hands, ladies and gentlemen. The best part of summer has arrived. Everybody talks, oh, you know, we're going to read on the beach this summer, and you see these lists, the top 10 new books coming out this summer. I know what I'm reading every summer. It's in my hand. It's all I read. It's right here. Getting ready for it when I head up to the lake in a couple of weeks, and Brent uses all his vacation time in July when you should. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. So I haven't really dug in yet, but I'm always curious, of course, uh, what Phil thinks of Syracuse. And we'll have Phil on at some point during the summer. Phil is... uh, on every single sports radio station in the country, and I believe some in Canada now during the summer. So when it's our turn in the rotation, we will certainly talk to him about this. But um, I would just say, are you sure you want me to tell you this? If you're a Syracuse football fan, or maybe you don't want your Phil Steele experience to be spoiled here. I almost feel like I should do a spoiler alert, like I'm talking about a, a Star Wars movie or Game of Thrones or something here. So I guess I should put it out there, right? Spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what your Phil Steele's college football Bible says about Syracuse, I'm about to reveal it, right? By the way, shocker, Alabama, number one in the power poll. I know. You you have fallen over in shock. So in that, uh, and there's, Phil. see, the great thing about Phil Steele is he does rankings, he does power polls, he, he really digs in on a number of of things here and just takes every angle possible to get you ready for the college football season. In his power poll, Syracuse comes in at number 82 for what it's worth. Now here's what he says in his ACC forecast. Syracuse, number seven. That's Phil, but he does admit this. You got to give him props for it. He says, This pick is scary. Last year, Syracuse was four and three at one point and not only beat number two Clemson, they took LSU to the wire in Death Valley, almost upset number eight Miami on the road, and had a 463 to 343 yard edge at Florida State, but lost by three. They have a lot of factors pointing up, and at number 39 are the third most experienced team in the ACC. Goes on to say, unfortunately, most of my nine sets of power ratings when played into the schedule have them here, and I think they will be the media pick for number seven as well. That, of course, would be number seven in the Atlantic, which is last place. There's seven teams over in the Coastal Division as well. Syracuse does have a first-teamer in Phil Steele's 2018 preseason ACC team. It's the kicker, Sterling Hoffrichter, punter, first-team. Hey, we'll take it. Matt Keller, second team long snapper. Sean Riley, third team kick returner and punt returner. So uh, we got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, Ravion Pierce, third team tight end. 
and Cody Conway, fourth team offensive line. So that's my first question. Who's a name that's not showing up in these all preseason teams that should be there? Here are the four quarterbacks. Ryan Finley's his first teamer from NC State. DeAndre Francois now back healthy at Florida State's a second team quarterback. Daniel Jones at Duke, Josh Jackson at Virginia Tech. Now, those are all four names that will be tough for Eric Dungy, should he stay healthy, to crack. As And there's some really good quarterbacks in the ACC. We didn't even mention a few other ones that are still in this league. But I think Dungy's got a shot. I think that you don't have the big names at wide receiver that you've had in recent years. But what we have seen in the Dino Baber system in two years is no matter who lines up at that position, and last year was Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips, they're going to get numbers. So they may not be their first team, but you got to imagine a wide receiver is going to crack the postseason team just given the sheer volume and the sheer numbers that the offense produces. Is there anybody on defense? Because I'm looking at the defense here, and I, I, I left one out. Chris Slayton is a third-team defensive lineman. Look, Clemson's going to win all the defensive line awards. That is one of the deepest, just sickest defensive lines college football has ever seen coming into a season. Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, Eden uh, Farrell at Clemson. And that's just, that should be illegal, that Clemson defense this year. And they're going to be out for blood when they play Syracuse. But that's my first thought. Is there a name that's not showing up on Phil Steele's all ACC team that could crack his all ACC team? The Atlantic Division, you know, you would anticipate Clemson 1, Florida State 2, Boston College 3. Now, one thing you will find that Phil Steele leans on and should is experience. That experienced teams make jumps in preseason rankings, can do damage in the college football season, and that's where you look for the teams that may be off your radar but can jump in and make some noise. Now, Boston College has A.J. Dillon, who is right up there amongst not only the best players at his position in the ACC, but in the country. And they have, as Phil points out here, B.C. is the most experienced team in the ACC. They're 11th in the country in experience. So for those of you that think that that Boston College game at the end of the season is going to be the one that Syracuse gets should they need a sixth win to get to a bowl game, well, that's going to be a tougher task than it has been in recent years against Boston College. And while we're yakking about it here, look, this conversation always comes back to schedule, coaching, quarterback. All right, I I could talk your ear off all summer, and we will, about football, particularly when camp opens and we'll explore every angle But it always comes back to three things. Quarterback, coach, schedule, and I think you got to throw experience in there too because Phil still leans on it so much and it's part of his formula and he's right about it. But, see, when you got a team, and barring any injury, but Boston College, to finish the season, if Syracuse needs that game, remember, you're coming off Notre Dame and you're coming off a Friday night game against Louisville. Now, Friday night games, weird things happen in the Dome. That's a game they certainly can win just based on home field advantage, their track record for upsets the last two years. But this shows you the importance of 
the front-loaded, cannot stumble, grab as many wins as you can early on part of the schedule, which, by the way, we said last year, not even anticipating they'd beat Clemson. They were sitting pretty after that Clemson win and didn't win another game the rest of the season because the defense always wilts at the end of the year. And you got to throw in injuries, not only on their side of the ball, but Eric Dungy goes down. That kind of affects the whole team. But now you've got depth at quarterback, so that's not an excuse. And you've got to find a way that this defense does not wilt at the end of the year. But let's go over early part of the schedule again, how important it is. Western Michigan, Wagner, Florida State, Connecticut, Clemson, Pitt, North Carolina. That's the front end. Yeah, Florida State, third game of the year, Carrier Dome. Now, remember, Willie Taggart's coaching there now. They'll be adjusting to him. But Francois's back at Florida State. Well, Florida State stumbled last year because of Francois's injury. And it just, you know, Jimbo Fisher and the rumors. And it's just kind of a, a rare tailspin in Tallahassee. They'll be fine. But is that your upset or is Louisville your upset? Because those are the two biggest candidates. Because you are not beating Clemson again. Just get that out of your head. You are not beating Clemson again, especially with that defensive line coming back at Clemson and the fact that they are going to want blood after losing at the Dome last year. And, yeah, look, they beat Clemson, and I'm not taking that away from them, but Kelly Bryant went down, and that just throws everything for a loop. So 3-1 and one is an absolute requisite, and at Western Michigan is not going to be a cakewalk, given the obvious. If you made a list of the five people on the planet that know Eric Dungy best, guess who's on that list? Tim Lester. He recruited him. He knows him. He knows how to defend him, just like Scott Schaefer did a year ago. So you got to go 3-1. and one, And then you play Clemson. Then you're in that stretch where you go to Pitt, home to North Carolina, home to NC State, at Wake. And then those last three games that I mentioned, Louisville, Notre Dame, Boston College. So people that are taking the over, and the over on Syracuse is 4.5, and, and saying that they will be a bowl team this year. You are, I think, looking at that pattern and saying, North Carolina, NC State, back-to-back, off the bye, because they played Pitt on October 6th, bye week, then the North Carolina connection there at home. Those are gots-to-win games. And NC State's got Ryan Finley back, but I think they can beat that team at home. So if you're assuming, if you've got the over, if you've got six wins then I think that's where you're going there. I think you're saying Western Michigan, Wagner, UConn, and then a combination of Pitt, Carolina, NC State, Wake, and then find the upset. It's either Louisville or Florida State. You're not going to beat Notre Dame, I don't think, at Yankee Stadium. And then BC is no walkover. They are experienced, and they've got A.J. Dillon. I've got more SU football for you on the other side because I found a – for entertainment purposes only stat that you're going to want to tuck away here because uh, gambling used to be illegal at Bushwood, sir, but it's about to not be. So hang in there. More on that plus Bob Costas coming up. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.